XR Motion Podcast with your hosts, Michael Steinberg and Andrew. All right. Welcome to the XR Motion Podcast, where we talk about everything AR, VR, 3D, motion graphics, AI, NFTs, metaverse, whatever that is. You name it, we go over it. Um, today, well, we have a very special guest, but before we do that, uh, we also have the greatest co-host ever here. Andrew, how are you doing, bud? What's up? I'm doing good. Uh, looking forward to today's episode. Seriously looking forward to today's episode. I have wanted to pick Gavin's brain for the entirety of since I've seen his work. Um, also, Ooh. just on the aside, uh, very excited for Thanksgiving. I have been preparing for my 5,000 calories a day uh, for the next <laughs> week for a little bit. So that yeah. is, uh, it's going to be a good week. That's good. That's good. Yeah. That's my baseline. I'm 6'6", six, six, so if I eat less than that, I turn into a skeleton. It's really frustrating, <laughs> you have, actually. You, yeah. you, have, you have basically a foot on me, so um, yeah. 5,000 is, is double my, my daily, I think. Yeah, it's a gift and a curse, let me tell you. <laughs> yeah, we had one. We just had our Thanksgiving dinner early this year. We had one this week, and uh, yeah, I mean, I ate so much food, I just... I'm already feeling it. Like I was doing so good nice. and now I'm already like, oh my God, I haven't gone to the gym in two weeks. <laughs> just <laughs> terrible, terrible. Um, yeah, well, um, just a real quick thing. Uh, and I'm excited to, yeah, as well, pick your brain, Gavin here. Um, just for anybody listening, I just want to give a little introduction to Gavin. This man has made some legendary work. I, I've grew up, maybe not grew up, but uh, for the past few years, I've seen so much of his work. And for anybody listening, I always say this, go online and look up the work right now while you're listening, because you're going to want to know who you're listening to and what kind of work they produce. Uh, to find Gavin's work, it is going to be Gavin, Sh well, it's Shapiro 5000. I just want to make sure I got this link. Five hundred Shapiro. Five hundred. Five hundred. Okay. Not you don't want to. You don't want to know about Shapiro five thousand. <laughs> yeah. <that's> no. <laughs> Shapiro five thousand is not a good dude. Yeah. Uh, Got to watch out. Um, okay. I yeah. just. I just had to verify. Uh, if you look on Instagram, there is no Shapiro five thousand, so we haven't offended anyone. <laughs> but if there is a Shapiro five thousand. Yeah, it's Shapiro, and to spell that, it's S H A P. I-R-O. So um, go look that up. It is great. And then or online at GavinShapiro.com. Um, man, it is just so cool to have you on. I've loved your work. And if somebody's still too lazy to go on, you, you've been known, you've done the Flamingo works, which I've loved. You know, the, the loops, the seamless loops, I mean, are just phenomenal. Man, I mean, besides just saying some of your key works, uh, I just want to start off by asking, like, how would you describe what you do to other people? <laughs> Thank you so much. What an intro. Um, I'm flattered about my work. I don't know. Let's see. It's um, it's most of what I do is like seamless looping videos that are often very surreal, very sometimes very silly. Um, they often have a very like hyper serious or mathematical or conceptual element combined with like these silly dancing birds, you know, and I like trying to make people smile by sort of juxtaposing those two different things and, uh, just sort of enjoying the ridiculousness that, that comes out of it. Um, but yeah, it's mostly just like trippy loops, you know, trippy seamless loops with dancing birds. 
I love that. I love that. <laughs> I mean, it's it's so good. And a lot of people, I, it was funny because I, I remember when I saw you at the conference, I didn't even realize that I did your tutorial. We were talking, and I was like, yeah. wait a second. Like, oh my gosh, like, hey, I forgot. I know your work, and I love your work. But not only that, but my 300, I did a year of dailies. And for my 365 daily, I did a seamless oh loop. And I... One. I, my very last, my big hurrah finale, and that was uh, <laughs> I followed your tutorial on that. Oh so. man, that's so awesome! Yeah, I remember that was a very surreal moment for me too to just like meet someone in person in public who had <laughs> done my tutorial. Like that's crazy, you it's know. So, so it was humbling for me um, mm. to 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 meet someone who had done a tutorial. You know, it's crazy. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, it's just all your work's great, including Thank the you. tutorials. Thanks a lot. Um, so many other things and we're going to get into even the device you showed at that conference which oh, yeah. i'm excited to talk about yeah uh, but yeah well so i i guess what kind of get a little bit of a background of you what if you don't mind just informing us what got you into the field like what was sure. kind of a little bit of you know your your origin story if you will sure yeah let's see where do i begin um so my first uh, let me see. I had like dabbled with motion graphics and stuff in college and like compositing effects and head replacements and stuff like that. Um, so I got an internship with the onion. That was like one of my first jobs and they hired me to be like, to work with, um, to do like motion graphics and visual effects. And I learned a lot of stuff on the fly there. And then when I got out of college, that internship turned into a job where I was making, um, like motion graphics packages for their their TV shows. They were like just going into TV. They had this show called Fact Zone and Sports Dome. So they brought me on to help with a few other guys to make um, like the graphics packages for that. So that was like my first sort of diving into motion, the motion graphics world. And then from there, I sort of, you know, I worked with them for a few years. It was like a few, it was a lot of like permalance gigs. You know, we do like a season of a show. It'd be three months, three months. And then, you know, they moved to Chicago. So then I started sort of getting into uh, just freelance. Um, and then what happened from there? Let me see. I was doing freelance stuff with just like a lot of random different clients. And then um, I moved to uh, Japan and France for a while. I really wanted to like study abroad or, you know, I wanted to live abroad and work abroad. Yeah. So I went over there and I, I worked for some companies over there. I worked on like, I lived in Paris for a few months working on like a, a French reality show, making the opening for that with them. And then I speak I, French. Yeah, I speak French. Wow. Um, so many, you keep getting more and more talents. It's amazing. <laughs> well, it gets weirder because then I moved to Japan and I started making a game like casino games. I started making the, the, um, <laughs> so it was weird. I went to Japan the first year I was, I was, I had to study abroad. I had to like go to a language school to get a visa. So I had to go to a Japanese class three hours a day. I'd go home. Wow. I'd do like freelance in my, in my, um, my bedroom. And then the next year I, I worked for a pachinko company, which is like uh, making motion graphics for like their casino games, essentially. It's fascinating. After that came back, I, then I got into more like the motion graphics studio freelance life before it was a lot of like mm. comedy VFX comedy. Can you make this look like a news show, but it's a joke satire kind of thing. So I wanted to get into like, I wanted to like work at Buck. I wanted to do studio stuff, make the cool stuff for my reel, mm. you know, like that was my dream. So I ended up doing that for a while. And then I went, um, I got a job offer to work full time at an agency called RGA as a motion design director. So I was working there for a few years. And then while I was there, the whole NFT thing started happening. So my personal work, I, I got invited to start tokenizing it. Um, so I was 
doing that as you know, every few months I do a drop on nifty gateway and then it kind of snowballed. And then I left the job and I was doing NFTs full time. Um, and now I'm, I'm sort of going back to doing a, a combination of NFT stuff and uh, freelance stuff. I've started going back to freelance and doing motion design. So that's the whole kind of story of my career. <laughs> Sorry, it's long winded. <laughs> no, not at all. I mean, that's, you, you can't really make a, a magnificent story so short. That was beautifully <laughs> put. I, there's so much to dive into there. Uh, a I lot mean, of things. We, I've had a weird and varied and vibrant career it's I'm very lucky uh, but yeah it's been exciting it's been an interesting ride to say the least well i noticed you didn't put anything about the onion in the bio you sent over you worked <laughs> at the onion yeah How? man yeah it was great <laughs> it was so cool <laughs> it was like a dream job you know it was funny because like in college i was like oh what am i gonna be when i grow up and like my life goal was like i want to get paid to make funny videos and then like my last year of college i got an internship doing like my dream job and then the first job I get paid out of college is making funny videos for the onion. And I was like, well, fuck, now I have no <laughs> sense of purpose or meaning. What do I aim towards now? No, and, but and it was, like, it was awesome. It was the best. I feel like timing must've been pretty good too. There's, there's sort of the trope now that the onion can't be the onion anymore. Cause life has gotten mm. so absurd and ridiculous. Oh yeah. But, but there like, was, it all there just was, seems real. <laughs> there was some, there was some peak there are a few peak years there where I would imagine working at the onion was just like such a blast. It was always the best. Like all the people there are just, they were just so cool and so funny and just like brilliant creative people. Um, mm. No, the onion was awesome. That was one of my favorite jobs I ever had. I yeah, can't even comprehend it. I love comedy as well. I, and yeah. <laughs> I just, I didn't even motion graphics. Yeah. I don't want to talk. I know I could ask a million questions about the onion, but oh, we will keep please going. Do it, whatever you want. Well, yeah. So, I mean, the writing process, I mean, was it just laughing every single day or is it something where they actually have really tight deadlines? What was kind of it's the so work environment so there? Like the, the writing team was pretty separate from the like team that put together all the design and stuff. Mm. Um, and I heard that the writing, like to be a writer there was very, very selective. Um, mm. And like people would send in resumes and stuff all the time. They're like, we don't take resume. Like we don't really take applications because they sort of had their team. And I think maybe they brought people in every now and then. But, um, but yeah, I didn't really get to be involved in, in the writing that much. Um, but, you know, every now and then, like there'd be creative decisions where, you know, as a, as the motion designer or the VFX artist, we'd get to sort of put something in there that was funny. And, you know, uh, it was, it was great. I had a great time. Wow. It was really a dream job, especially like just getting out of college. It was just like too good to be true, you know. Did they make you take uh, for in your interview? Did you have to say a joke? I'm yeah, I'm, yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to remember what it was in the interview. They had one question that was super weird. I don't remember what it was. It was it was like out of the blue too. They were like, "So if you, um, I'm making this up. I don't know if this was the question. Yeah. Like, so if you were in like a, a battle with a Tyrannosaurus, like, what's one object you would bring with you?" <laughs> or something like that you know it's like and you're like oh well this is this, this kind of interview i see you know they want to sort of make sure you're a you're a person with a sense of humor i love that well so it's crazy that you know I, you always talk to people who are trying to chase their dream job so you land you land on your dream job yeah. at least at the time um, it was so great. That, yeah, well, so that w what made you say, hey, it's time to uh, switch routes a little bit or start a new journey? 
Um, let's see. Well, I was doing a lot of motion graphic stuff with them. You know, we were had we had to like basically make what do you call it? like Sports Center. You know, we had to mimic Sports Center. We had to mimic CNN, and we had to make these really high fidelity news packages. So in doing that over and over and sort of learning more and more about motion graphics, it was like, I want to get better at this, you know? Mm. And you guys know, like once you start getting into motion graphics, you want to learn what other cool shit can I make? Like, Oh, there's a tutorial where you can use particles now. That's crazy. Dynamic. Like (laughs) it's just exciting to like learn all these new things and learn, you know, different ways to like articulate ideas that are in your head. Mm. Um, So, you know, I just started getting inspired by like motion design studios and, you know, checking motionographer every day and, you know, trying to make little things in my spare time. Um, and yeah, I don't know. It just kind of got to the point where I, I guess I had done enough, um, weird little odd jobs. A lot of the freelance gigs I was getting were like, Hey, uh, I have a friend he's working at adult swim. He needs someone to make this one graphic. I think it'll take like a day or two. Will you do it for 400 bucks? It's like, uh, sure. Yeah, I'll do anything. You know, it's all these, it was just a lot of little random things like that. Like tons of them. It was a lot of like comedy effects, comic comedy graphics, um, pilots for shows. Um, you know, and then I was in Japan, I was doing like gambling casino game graphics. It was always these kind of weird little niche jobs. And then at a certain point I was like, I want to work at like buck. I want to like work Mm. at studios and like learn from people. I sort of felt like I was missing out on the opportunity to be around a whole room full of people who were all like a hundred times better than me. You know what I mean? So you really were, no, no, go ahead. ahead. You were really more in for it. Like, it sounds like the creative environment, like the comedy was Mm -hmm. kind of one thing. And then eventually the creativity became more important than the humor a little bit. And yeah, I think so. Eventually I was like, I don't think I'm getting that much better at motion graphics. Like I'm having a great time and I'm making Mm -hmm. really fun work and a lot of stuff that I'm proud of. But like, I want to learn from people who like, I don't understand at all how they do what they do. You know what I mean? And like be in those kind of environments. Um, So yeah, eventually I started, I started doing that. I sort of pivoted into studio work, um, doing freelance stuff. Uh, I, and that was awesome too. That was really, really just a really fun time. And I, I made a lot of work that I'm really proud of a lot of visually really cool work. Um, Mm. made a sweet reel, you know, like, (laughs) you know, you know, that feeling like when you do a a gig where you're like, I'm going to put that on my reel, that's one for the reel. And and then you're like, Oh, I can't wait to make a new reel because it's got the new piece, you know, that's when you know, the work is good when you're actually doing a job you love is when you're like, this is going in my reel. Yeah, 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 exactly. That's when you know, it's a good job. Yeah. So I, I think I just got more obsessed with like the process and, and the technique behind motion graphics and wanted to make more stuff that looked good, you know, that looked good mm-hmm. for the sake of looking good. Um, as opposed to like trying to convey a joke efficiently or clearly, you know, or convincingly, yeah. you know, it's interesting. A lot of my, you know, my first motion graphics background is with the onion, which is trying to sort of make a, you know, it's, it's satirical. It's trying to make something that looks indistinguishable from something else. And I think mm. about that, like the indistinguishable from the real thing. Um, and I think about my own work now and I have a lot of stuff. I channel that energy and I'm making like a fake museum exhibit, you know, a, a museum exhibit that where if you didn't know my work and you looked at it, you might be like, is that real? I made some things like I made a fake museum exhibit and people were like, this is so cool. I didn't know you're in a museum. I was like, Oh, the fact that you're saying that makes me really happy because I've done my job properly. You know, it's like the joke is landed. Um, I tricked you, you know, it's all a prank, you know, I love pranks and stuff. So it's just, um, but yeah, that's, you know, that's what my work is about. Just like 
lighthearted fun, making people smile. So I, lo- I still have that comedy element. That's a big part of my personality and my artistic identity, I think. You know, mm. is that comedy? Is that making people smile? Um, yeah, I love that. Well, so, you, you know, doing this job interview, and I, I love hearing how the things and the points that made you kind of want to, you know, continue to progress in your career. Mm-hmm. But man, I just got to ask, it's so interesting. So many people have a trouble of moving to a more art, you know, like motion graphic state or city, you know, just sure. in the US going to a whole nother country. I mean, what was that process like? Were you applying for jobs? Was it something they reached out? What was that moving process like? Sure. I mean, yeah. So let's see. I that whole pro- so I knew where do I even begin. So in college, I visited a friend of mine who was studying abroad in Japan. I visited mm-hmm. him for ten days um, and just fell in love with the country. It was the first time I ever um, like went on a trip, an international trip alone without my parents. You know, and I just went to see a friend. And it was so cool. I love Japan. I wanted to learn Japanese. Um, and then I came back and they didn't have Japanese that semester. They So I took French instead because one of my best friends, um, my best friend, my childhood best friend, he speaks French uh, natively. So I was like, oh, I'll have like a secret language with him. So I learned, I started learning French. And then I was like, well, now that I have this, let me try going to France too. You know, like, so Japan and France both became like these goals for me. So anyway, after freelancing a bunch for a few years in New York. I was dating someone at the time who was getting a job in Japan. So she moved to Japan to the countryside. And then we did um, like a year of long distance. And like, I went to Japan for a few weeks. I'd work from home because I had freelance clients. Mm. And then I came back. So I was sort of testing. I would go for like six weeks at a time. And then at one point I went, I was in Japan with her. And then I moved to France for three months because that's what the tourist visa was. And I was like, so what the way I approached it was <laughs> I, before going, I found like as many design companies in Paris as I could. I had a list of like a hundred companies. I emailed all of them in French. I had a French friend, like check my language and everything. I emailed them all. I got 10 interviews. So I went from a hundred to 10. So I got 10 interviews. And then I, so I landed in Paris the first week I was just doing all these interviews. And then one of the companies was like, Hey, could you come in next week? We need someone for two days. And I was like, yeah, yeah, sure. And then the next week it was three days. And then he was like, how long are you here for? And then I, he just, <laughs> he just basically booked me for the, for the time that I was there. Um, wow. That's and it was, that's such a, was, that's such a big gamble to take. Uh, yeah. It was a big like gamble. I mean, I figured, a, a hard I figured jump to make for sure. it was a tough jump. I mean, it was a risk for sure, you know, but I knew I wanted to do it and I was like, this is my chance to do it. So I got to make it happen. I think if I didn't land a job, I probably would have just, you know, done freelancing from home because I still had clients and stuff. Um, but yeah, then after France, I moved to Japan for two years and I moved to Osaka and the plan was basically, yeah, study. I had to study Japanese to get a a visa. So I studied Japanese. I went to Japanese language school for three hours a day and then I'd go home and I had freelance gigs uh, for American clients basically. So I I, actually, I had some for the, for the French client, the guy who I was working for in France, I worked with him for a few weeks. And then I had like, you know, it was, uh, I'm trying to remember. There was a movie I, I worked on. It was like doing shots for a comedy movie. It was with Paul Rudd and Amy Poehler. It was wow. some, but it was like so. Working with the Onion, I got all these clients and all the producers were doing like comedy things. So they needed like all these green screen shots and all these mm-hmm. things where you have to take out the boom mic. You know, so it was a lot of gigs like that where they just needed someone to do the shots. And I 
you know, I had a, a network of, of friends and colleagues who were like, Hey, are you free? Hey, are you free? You know, so, um, I just made it happen, you know, just lived frugally and just did work from home basically. And then after my language school ended the next year, I was like, I want to work in a Japanese company. Like, that was the reason why I went there. Cause I wanted to work in a Japanese company, learn Japanese, you know, like have immersion practice and everything. So then I did interviews for two months basically. And just finally someone, some company was like, yeah, we've, we'll bring you on. A lot of people were like, your Japanese isn't quite good enough yet. You know, <laughs> trust you to work on things in like a production environment. Mm -hmm. But one company took a gamble and it was great. It was a lot of fun. Wow. It's amazing. Yeah. So I, I, I mean the personal work. So then what, what made you go? I mean, just to kind of slowly sure. getting up to where we are yeah, now. Yeah, yeah. So you're in Japan. What mm -hmm. made you then? I mean, I can't even comprehend going from two countries. That is just yeah. wild. Uh, and then you and then going through so the then, bucket list, man. You know, here's my no chance. Twenty-two yeah. year old, whatever. <laughs> no kidding. I mean, super ambitious. Um, and I love, I love it. So, what had you go from Japan then back to New York? Sure. Was it just that New York's the best place on earth? You just, it took you going Basically, all around the world. Yeah. You know, <laughs> no. So I, um, it was a combination of things. It was like, I missed mm -hmm. family and friends, you know, and yeah. sort of wanted to head back. Yeah. And then there was a, a company that I had freelanced for before I went to Japan. Um, and they, we, I was sort of, I had kept in touch with them and everything. And I, I think I did a, a project with them while I was away, but basically I, they knew I was coming back and they offered me a full-time job. So mm -hmm. I was like, okay, when wow. I go home, I have employment basically. Um, so with all the things lining up, it just worked out. So I left my, the company that I was at in Japan, came home and then started working full-time there. I think I was there for about a, a year or two years. I'm trying to remember exactly, but yeah, I worked there for a bit and then sort of started doing more freelance stuff after that. Mm. But yeah. And then I've, I've been in New York since then. That was, I came back in 2015. Wow. Wow. Um, so, so, yeah, so you get back. So when you got it, when you got back into, um, got back into doing the freelance stuff, is yeah. that sort of what gave you, um, I mean, we always kind of keep this future segment where we talk about NFTs and sure. the future of digital art. So I don't want to jump the gun too much, but was, was going back into the freelance space. Did that give you afford you some flexibility in your time and your energy and, you know, resources to sort of focus more on your personal work? Well, you know, it's really funny because I thought that would happen and kind of the opposite <laughs> happened. It happened in the opposite way that I thought it would. So I was, you know, I was doing freelance and everything, but you know, when you get hired on a freelance gig, a client's like, we need this done by this deadline and mm. we're hiring you and we're paying you a day rate every day. We're paying you this much to do this much stuff. And it feels very intentional and it's often very, um, it can often be rushed, you know, or there are long hours. And I found that most of the freelance jobs I was getting booked on, at least the ones where I was making work that I was really proud of, it was so creatively draining that I would come home and I would not want to make personal work. And it took switching to a full-time job where um, you're not working with that level of intensity to come home and then have the mental bandwidth to be like, you know, today I was just making like uh, like text pop up on a screen and I just did like 20 deliverables and different resolutions. So I really want to like make something creative now, you know? Um, mm, yeah. And don't get me wrong. There were plenty of, of you know, there, there were plenty of times where I was making things where I was making things that were creatively fulfilling, but you know, when you're on a full-time gig, it's often a little bit more spread out than when you're getting booked to deliver a specific asset. 
right um, and i think deadline. that in this field it's it's very much it's a perpetual rebalancing of yeah you know to get the gig you know for people listening exactly. your, your studio list the people that you've worked with it's top tier i mean buck brand new school you know the the best clients the mm -hmm. best studios so to operate at that level requires a level of commitment that you know i think in some ways you might say is not sustainable to also have a, a fruitful creative career you know your personal work and your personal art so exactly I, yeah it sounds i can kind of catch that theme just through you know talking through how you ended up to where you are today that totally. you, you seem to have mastered the the craft of rebalancing and refocusing <laughs> yourself you know year over year kind of thing that's a good way to put it but yeah so that's what it felt like so when i was at the agency um I found I, you know, there'd be a lot of times where I would come home and I would feel like making something for myself, you know? Um, mm -hmm. so then I started, uh, trying to figure out what, uh, my personal work would be, you know, and trying to figure out what my own style was. Cause that was a big thing for me too, is like, I realized after like 10 years of doing this, like I didn't really have a style, you know, I was always sort of a generalist hired gun. Can you make this for us here? The style frame? Sure. Yeah, I can do that. You know? So when I was, when I was trying to figure out my personal work, I didn't really have a style. So I, I then finally sort of tried to figure that out. Um, wow. well, and that, I, I want to know all about that because I mean, sure. I'm sure this is probably a million dollar question yeah. uh, that everybody's been wanting to hear um, for all the listeners, but yeah. So, I mean, I'm guessing was, this may be the origin of the flamingo that kind of pretty much i mean so yeah so i can sort of get into the origin story of my of, of the personal work how that all shaped up so when i was trying to figure out my personal work like you know i i had just gotten a new computer I had, I had like a macbook from 2011 and then now it's 2018 this thing is like on its last legs i'm like i need a computer i need to like get octane render at home so i can oh, experiment yeah. with this stuff because you know i've used it on gigs um, but I didn't have it at home. So I was like, I need a new computer, got to get Octane, switch to PC, got my 1080 Ti, you know, woo, sick, beastly <laughs> GPU. Um, and I was just messing around with stuff and it was tough. It, I wasn't really, I was just putting geometry and shapes and trying to light it. And I was like, this doesn't like feel like anything. I was like, okay, I'm making personal work. It's about me. It's, what is, what is my personal work? What is like my identity? What do I think is cool? What do I like? Like, so I started messing with um things that i knew <clears throat> i was pretty good at and things i knew that i liked animation uh looping like the problem solving of figuring out how to make a loop of something um three photorealistic 3d rendering like surrealism like all these things were things that i liked making and i was uh, proud of when i made it um and then in terms of theme i was like let me just start with things that i like and the first stuff I made was with um, penguins because I just I love I've loved penguins since I was a kid. I don't know there's a penguin on my desk right here. Like as, you know, I, I've loved penguins since I was a kid. I don't know why. Um, and then I also was playing with elements of Japanese architecture because I had you know come from Japan not too long ago and I it was just I found it really really inspiring and beautiful and clean beautifully designed. So that was like the first tests. I mean, if you go down to like the first things I was posting on my Instagram, like the first work, mm. it's just stills of like, um, penguins and Japanese architecture and in weird wow. ways. And I was trying to challenge myself to do stills too, because I knew one of my strengths was animation and I relied on that as a crutch. And I found that when I tried to make my own things, 
like, oh, let me mess around with some stuff. I was just like taking cubes and shit and like making them animate all cool and be like, whoa, neat, it looks impressive, wow. You know, but it like didn't say anything. It's just shapes, mm-hmm. you know, and I felt like I was sort of missing out on an opportunity to try to figure out what I wanted to express that represented me. Um, but anyway, so yeah, I just started trying to combine elements of things that I liked doing, things that I was thought I was good at and things that... Um, things that I liked and thought were cool, you know, and that were a part of my story, you know, as uh, I lived in Japan, I liked the Japanese architecture, I like penguins, yada, yada. So it started with, with penguins and Japanese architecture. And then um, I was making some loops with them, you know, I did stills, and then I started making loops. I just thought they were fun and cool. And I was putting them to this cool um, this music genre called future funk. It's like all these remixes of like old Japanese disco with like house vibes. And it's really funky and fun to dance to. So I was putting this kind of music to the loops just because it, it was like the vibe I was going for. This fun, high energy. I was picturing it as like stuff you'd see in a club. Mm-hmm. If, you were, if you were like out dancing with your friends and you saw this on the, on the projector or whatever, it'd be like, whoa, that's crazy. Like, these penguins are having a great time. <laughs> I just wanted it to be like, you know, again, a, a prank. Like, what if you saw that in a club? You know, like, right. so that was the kind of stuff I was making. So some of the, the songs I was using were by this guy, uh, Young Bay another guy night tempo and like i saw that they were doing a tour and they were coming to new york so i just reached out to them i reached out to their manager and i was like i make these weird loops just for fun and i've had your music in mind do you want to use them at your shows you're totally more than welcome to i would love that damn and they wrote back uh, the young bay's manager wrote back wow. yeah these are sweet um in the but it, but then he said would you be down to like make some that have flamingos in them because he has kind of like a florida Whoa, miami fun nice. summer okay. vibe oh, you know so that's the that's how the flamingos yeah and i was out. like wow. sure that'd be fun you know um and i basically made you know they were like oh we can't pay you much just, we don't have a budget and i was like don't worry because i heard from uh nick campbell some mm-hmm. some of the best advice i still use it work for free or for full price but never for cheap you know? Yeah. So I told him, I was, yeah. I'll do this for you for free. If I can have creative control, basically. Yeah. Like if you don't give me notes and I can just have fun with this, I'll just make as many as you want for free. Um, so I just started playing around. It was just total experimentation. You know, every now and then they would send some things like mood boards kind of, and I would take some inspiration from them, but it was, it was just super fun. They never gave me notes or critiques and they just used all this, this stuff I was making. So that's how some of the first flamingo stuff started wow. was I was okay. just making like the similar kind of thing of dancing birds and, in these weird, surreal, fun environments. Um, but yeah, I sort of switched to flamingos and got into this like summer vibe. And then I sort of just realized on my own that like the flamingos are super fun to animate because they're so <laughs> exaggerated and like they have these long legs and long necks and they're all floppy and it's very cartoony looking bird, you know, and especially when you animate it, it's very easy to put a lot of um, personality and, ex- and expressiveness into it just because of the shape of the flamingo you know and when you're when you're pairing it with this photorealistic style that you've you've really honed in on it also harkens back to sort of the absurdity of you know when you see these these things that are so convincingly real to the eye and they're just moving these wonky ways totally you know really exaggerated very theatrical kind of campy yeah i can totally see how that you know it's it's almost like that's a that's a very perfect accident that you know they asked exactly yeah no exactly that's a great way to describe it It was a perfect accident um so yeah so then i did a lot of flamingo stuff and i had so much fun with that and that was sort of when i started getting into nfts so i sort of felt like flamingos were my thing people like knew me as the flamingo guy basically Mm. 
Um, but after a while, I felt like I was sort of beating a dead horse and I didn't want to just like make dancing flamingos for 20 years and, you know, for my entire artistic career. So I was like, let me think about this again. And I sort of went back. I was like, what is actually me? And I, you know, I went back to penguins. Mm, I hate saying it's become my brand (laughs) because I don't want to like come across as a company, but it's like in the sense of like, if there's something I want to use to represent my identity, I'd rather use a penguin. Cause I think that's a thing where, uh, you know, it's something where someone can, see my work and know it immediately mm-hmm, you know yeah. if there's some weird surreal thing and it's looping and oh there's a penguin it's like oh that's him you know so yeah. it sort of became this this combination of elements that made it easy for people to identify my work um which i think is one of the reasons why it did start catching on in a way you know because right. it's easy to just sort of articulate like oh yeah it's that it's those elements yeah. you know so i do want to ask from, yep. a te- from a technical standpoint so first i should caveat Sure. If you if you still haven't looked at the work, if you're listening to this, you haven't looked at the work. We're not talking about loops. We're not talking about like a walk cycle loop. We're not talking about a lo- like a loading spinning loading animation. I'm talking about like seamless loops in a way that I actually discovered you on Twitter. Uh, I don't know, probably two or three years ago. Oh, cool. And it was just this moment of this loop. I have I have no idea what mathematical magic is <laughs> happening behind the scenes, but you know, you, you see, you can see there's some very, um, there's very intricate sort of math happening. And I'm just curious, um, you know, you've mentioned music, you've mm-hmm. mentioned sort of the visual aesthetic, and I can really see how those two, you know, play in all your work, but how much of how much of what you create is rooted in any sort of you know is there some deep math that you're that you know some magic on that you're kind of working with behind the scenes because i feel like that's something else that when i see work work that you've done that also becomes an identifier where it's not just a loop of like Mm -hmm. an infinite zoom it's you know you have rotations on different size rectangles that scale up at the same time and there are walk cycles happening on top i mean how do you how do you choreograph all that i mean is it pre-production is it something that you're doing just you know kind of uh trying stuff out and seeing if it works i'm very curious yeah no it's um yeah there's a lot of math in a lot of the work um it kind of depends it varies from loop to loop some of them are extremely complicated to the point where i like almost went crazy trying to figure it out (laughs) some of them are a little bit tamer but a lot of them do involve a lot of math um usually what i do is i make the like the base of the loop first you know with just like cubes or triangles or something and just get the animation to be perfect and functional so mm. there's like a, a like a foundation to build off of basically and then once it's working and it's perfect i set it up so it's all looping then i start you know designing the environment and putting in characters and things like that um but yeah some of them are more complicated than others like there's there's a series i have with these with the triangles flipping and the way that one works is like each triangle is the same animation but it's offset in time right. so when the characters interact with each other it's the same characters that are on the same like it's hard to articulate this it's like it's <laughs> basically saw- like the, they're interacting with the past versions of themselves so when i was animating it it was like i would do it with cubes first to block out the animation and make one sort of pop up and the other pop up as if they're talking and then and then go back and replace those moments with the actual you know i'd right. flush out the animation of the flamingos or penguins or whatever but and what yeah is, some what of is it is t- hard to keep track what of. is the timeline on something like that how long does it take you to do um you know any i'm trying to I don't necessarily want to pick one specifically, but sure. you know, one where you have characters interacting, where there's sure, maybe sure. even like some physics, like balls rolling around, flipping. Yeah. You know, what is the timeline on that for you? I mean, I feel like they always take at least a few weeks. You know, some of the more complicated wow. ones take months. I mean, and, and it depends. Like, 
because some of them I made when um, when I was working full time. So it'd be like I'd get up early and, you know, work for an hour or two in the morning and then work on the weekends or something mm-hmm. like that. Just chipping away at it. Um, but, yeah, it kind of depends, but always at least a few weeks. I mean, yeah. even if something is simple and I get it to a point where it looks good pretty quickly, I always like just obsess over it and watch it over and over. Oh, how can I improve this? Oh, I should put some more detail here. Like, like I always kind of overthink everything and, and see how I could um, – make it more interesting to look at, you know? Yeah. So yeah, at least, yeah. at least a few weeks. What usually. is your, what is your qualifier for calling something done? Do you have a, do you have a process that you just say, I'm going to set an artificial deadline or. It's a good question. Um, man, when is something done? I don't know. I usually, know that's the most, that's probably the most loaded hard. question I could ask. I mean, eventually I'll just get to a point where I'm like, I don't think working more on this would necessarily make it better. Mm. You know, like, there's a point where something sort of says what it needs to. Um, in, in recent months or years, I've tried to sort of learn how to hold back a little bit and sort of pare things down and see if I can convey things more simply. Um, and you can sort of see it as my work progresses. Like before, it was very, very showy and there are like a million elements all over the place. And now it's a little bit more minimalist and more conceptual. But I am kind of itching to get back to the, the showy stuff because the conceptual stuff is just as hard it just doesn't look as hard yeah (laughs) it's just just like cleaner or sleeker or something and it takes a lot to make it that Mm -hmm. uh, functional i guess um but i don't know i'm I'm just like you said before with balance it's like i'm sort of always trying to go to the other end and then come back and see where uh see where um i can find balance and learn from one way and learn from the other way nice um, Yeah. yeah i always try to ebb and flow i think if i do the same thing for too long i get kind of about worry I get, I get i feel kind of like um i should challenge myself again and like try to do something new or mm-hmm. i don't know i'm always sort of reinventing myself you know yeah. and trying to figure something else out well i want to say speaking of like going a little bit of a more minimalistic route i mean it, yeah. definitely the constraints of not doing more is so tough you know yeah. especially you're like oh it looks so much more cooler than it's like no you actually have to tone it back it's like it's just a totally different mindset but with with that being on the mind as well and i just find it so interesting that you actually seeked out to develop your own style where Mm -hmm. some people kind of naturally comes me personally yeah i'm kind of always i've been in that kind of sure bubble of not necessarily knowing what it is like i'm kind of seeing my color palettes a little bit i'm kind of seeing the things i Mm -hmm. like um, but I haven't really developed it. So I'm kind of curious when it comes to restraint, was mm. there things, did you have a bit of a process of saying, these are things I definitely don't want to do, or was it kind of like when you came to developing your style, was mm-hmm. it really just focusing more on what you liked? Um, let's see. I think I was focusing on what I liked. I mean, there were things where I was, you know, where I had tried out a lot of different things in my career mm-hmm. and I, I was sort of. Uh, when I was developing my own style, I I was being aware of what I didn't like doing or didn't do well, like hand-drawn cell animation. Like I had tried that and I felt like I didn't have enough control over it. I wasn't good enough at it. Um, And I'm also, I think, too impatient of a person to do it. You know, like um, my fiance is a painter and she, you know, she can paint like photorealistically basically. And my mind doesn't work like that. Like I don't have the patience for that. And for me, it's like, I sort of, do things incrementally. And then I'm like, Oh, I want to change the lighting. So I'm um, um, imagining trying to like paint like she does. I'm like, what if you want to change the lighting? You painted the whole thing. Like, <laughs> what if you want to like do the swing the hue saturation a little bit? You know, it's like, so 
I, I so anyway, yeah. So I was aware of like the things that I didn't really want to do, like you know, sell mm. animation or illustration or something. Just sort of being aware of what um, what my weaknesses were, I guess, you know, and not yeah. necessarily trying to develop a style around that. Because ultimately, and, when you oh, sorry, go ahead. And maybe also being aware of what your process is, you know, if yeah, you're, if you're exactly. the person who's gonna, you know, wants things to be modular because you get to one point in the process and realize, oh, there's something I want to tweak. You need to have that sort of back door yep. to get back to that without absolutely. completely with without completely upending everything. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. To, to focus in even more, I guess, on narrowing your style. Because I mean, sure. your style is just, you're right. Like you said earlier, I mean, anybody can see a piece of yours and clearly identify it's yours. Like you have a very distinguished sure. style that's very um apparent and it's great thank you <laughs> so and just to kind of like because i i do think it's just something i've always struggled with and i know so many other artists do um like just picking penguins right like mm -hmm. i mean did you have a circle of you know well i like elephants well you know sure. i also like iguanas you know and it's <laughs> like you're sitting there for eight weeks just like hmm, which one you know no um, i know did that you feeling, have like though. a circle like did you write it down was it something mm. like i guess just to get a little bit more sure um just thoughts on how you kind of came up yeah. with being no so it's, it's a really it's a really good question because like i I struggled with the idea of style for a long, long time, like my whole career, like 10 years, you know, I was like, I don't know what my style is, you know, and like, I try to make little bits of personal work here and there. And it was fun, but I, it, it never felt like this is totally me. Um, but yeah, I would say if, if I had advice, it would be like, um, just start somewhere, like start, like I was stressing about like, oh, is it going to be this animal? Is it, like, is it going to be that? Like, there's so many things it could be, but what is it going to be? And then you see something cool on a motionographer on Vimeo. You're like, Oh, I want to do that. That looks so cool. And like, then you go, you know, that feeling it's like, it's, it's easy to get distracted by like other people's really cool shit and like mm -hmm. want to make that. So I don't know. Yeah. For me, it was just sort of finding a starting point. I think that's the best way to, to yeah. articulate it is like, just, you know, yeah. Make a list of a few things you, like or a few things that are part of your identity or your story or or um things that make you you things you love whatever and and then also you know techniques that you're good at and you like doing because in the end like if it's your style it's going to be your style because and you do it so much because you like doing it right it shouldn't there shouldn't be like impediments in the way mm. like i think anyone who has a style is doing it because like they keep coming back to it because it's fun they like doing it so i think you've got to find something that's uh where you're not forcing yourself to do it it's got to be something that comes to you naturally. Like you said, building it modularly, it's like my whole career, I was I was sort of forced to build things modularly because the client comes back and they're like, yeah, that thing you made, uh, we need it different. So can you change it? And you're like, oh, fuck. So <laughs> after like 10 years of that, you build things so that you can change it easily. So right. it's like, mm. that was an element of it, you know? So like when I'm building my mathematical loops and everything, it's like I am building it in a way where it is modular and sort of compartmentalized. And, and that's only because uh, you're aware of the, you have the experience to, to exactly. know the things that you're going to probably revisit at some point. Yeah, totally. Mm. But that came from my experience and my skill set, which was developing things so that clients could change whatever they yeah. want, whenever the fuck they want, because they're going to do that. You, know? yep. <laughs> yeah. like, you get to, you get to an, the end of a project and they're like, we changed our logo. Yep. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Oh, I had that on a job recently. I had yeah. to re-render everything. Changed a color yeah. palette. Changed a look. Yeah, I, I totally, I totally get that. That's my, yeah, that's yeah. my day to day. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But yeah. Anyway, but yeah. For your question, did I write down a million things? I think I just sort of 
found a, a few things that I like. And I was like, let me just use that as a starting point and see what happens. And then after you make the first thing, you're like, oh, that was cool. I didn't like that though. And then you iterate. So yeah. I think I got into the idea of, of iteration, like, like pretty quick iteration and not trying to find perfection. I think for so long I was stuck because I was like, well, what if I make something and it's stupid and it's not my style? Oh no, I failed. And it's like, no, you just get a little closer each time. Mm. Right. That's how you learn language. You know, you don't just like sit down and try to learn French and then you, you can't speak it the next day. You're like, oh, I couldn't do it. <laughs> you know, you learn one word and then you learn the next. And then, you know, it's it's like, uh, yeah. So I, just just go towards it. You know, don't don't worry about perfection, but just figure out elements you like mm. um, and things that make you you and things that no one else could could do, basically, you know, in terms of telling a story, you know, because everyone's got their own sort of personal story and experience, things they like. Yeah. I love that. I love that. Well, Very well said. Yeah, that was great. Sweet. I mean, I, I love hearing that because that's just something I know. I, I always talk about all the time. Sure. So, um, all snippets and, you know, uh, hearing, hearing all that is just so helpful. Awesome. Um, that's great. That makes me happy to know. It's helpful. Yeah. You've been such an influence in my life. <laughs> <laughs> I, I grew up. I grew up looking at your work. <laughs> yeah, that was, that was good. Um, oh, man. Okay. Michael, I was thinking, should we should we jump into? I feel like we're going to spend some time on the. Uh, yeah, stuff. I get. I guess well, really quick. Um, just man, that yeah, we're gonna we gotta jump into the future stuff here in a second. Let's do it. But I just want to ask if you could just quickly maybe just say um, what programs and plugins hmm. you use before we jump into the hypothetical future stuff. Sure. Yeah. Um, I'm in. I use C4D. I use Octane Render. Um, I use After Effects, Premiere, Photoshop. Uh, those are like the main tools of the trade, I'd say. Uh, Illustrator every now and then for like, you know, making things to bring in the C4D or something like that. Mm. Um, I'm always curious of outside of, uh, outside of the sort of industry st standard mm. content creation stuff. Do you have any productivity apps that you like stuff you use to storyboard Ooh. or mood boards That's or any that kind of stuff? Um, not really. I'm trying to think. Yeah, I'm I'm pretty vanilla. You know, I, I sort of had this fear of like, if I learn specialized things, like what if I go to a studio and they don't have it there and it's like right. a, a hassle to like get it all set up. So I've always tried to just like work with the basics. <laughs> but you know, that limited me because like I wasn't using Octane Render. So you got to sort of pick your battles. But no, no that's, I mean, that's so true. I feel like I'm, I'm still always impressed when I see um, really good AE artists that hmm. will just be like, I don't use trap code particular because I built a custom system oh, using yeah. like particle playground or something. Damn, <laughs> that's like, wild. You clearly have some deep understanding of the yeah. After Effects vanilla that I do not. Sure. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty hardcore. Man, I met a guy in a job and he made like 3D stuff by using Stroke. He would, I remember this, he, we, we got one of his project files. It was for like a football being thrown. It was like a wireframe football. He opened his project file and what he did was like he used... Um, I think he used particular and he literally like did keyframes where he outlined a football before the timeline started. And then he used that and like animated the camera away oh from it or God. something. And like yeah. how he made 3d objects. I was like, dude, holy That's crap. Wild. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so you never know. So also, also testament stuff. to the leg, the lengths that you'll go to, to get, um, <laughs> good 3d and after effects. <laughs> yeah. That's so funny. Yeah. Oh well. my God. Well, cool. Well, yeah. <clears throat> with that being said, that part was great. Uh, we're just going Sweet. to jump into the future part. So let's do this. Let's do it. Here we go. 
the future. Future. All right. Welcome to the future portion of the podcast. This is where we go over uh, where we think the industry is going, and there is no judgment. You know, we're just hypothetical over here, just sure. just kind of conversating. Um, so. Uh, with that being said, we always usually like to start off the segment here um, by talking a little bit about VR. What's have you used VR or AR or XR? Um, and if so, or even if not so, what what is your thoughts on those? Sure, um, I've used VR. I'm borrowing my friend's uh, Quest Two right now. Hey, play nice. mini golf from time to time, my buds. <laughs> you know, take um, a break, grab a beer. Yeah, you know, you know VR is cool. Um, it's neat. I, I don't know. I think. Let's see. I tried out a Magic Leap once when I was mm. at RGA. They like had one, and that to me felt like, oh, this is going to be the thing where people it's going to catch on if it becomes easy to use or it becomes like um you know smaller or something. Mm. Because AR like enhances your environment, you know? So it's like, instead of using your phone to look down at this thing for new information from the internet, it's like, it would just be displayed in your environment. So I can imagine how people could, um, you know, get used to using that instead of their phones because it could be easier, you know, and your hands free. And then you just look in the road and it shows Google maps or whatever, you know? Um, VR is pretty cool. It, it, VR feels still a bit gimmicky to me or something. It, it feels like not quite a perfect experience. You know, like somebody who is a gamer who plays like Call of Duty or something, I feel like they would rather just use the controller, which is easy and responsive, instead of doing this like experience where you like reload your gun by taking it out of the backpack. It's like, it's not going to make like efficient, fun gameplay. You know, it's like people just want to like get through that to uh, kill their friends, I guess, you know, because that's yeah. awesome. Um but yeah, VR is, I don't know, it's, it's an amazing technology. It's getting better and better. You know, it's still in its infancy in a way because it's not quite as accessible as uh, it needs to be for like mass adoption. You know, you still got to put on the headset and you're isolated and you're, and you're I don't know. It's, it's like, it's, it's, there's still a, a barrier or something, you know, mm-hmm. it's not like convenient. Um, it's like a, a separate experience, but yeah, it still feels a bit gimmicky to me or something i don't think we're quite there yet um but also i don't use it all the time so i don't really uh understand the the benefits and the advantages from like a first hand experience yeah. you know like i i went to um i went to half res recently in chicago i did a panel there and oh, i'm yeah how, and I, how yeah. it was awesome and i met um colin likes who she like draws in vr and that's mm-hmm. like part of her workflow and that's super cool. So like she was great on the panel because she, she was giving her perspective of like being an artist who uses VR as a tool because like she's a painter. She's an artist. She knows how to like use, you know, use painting as like a, an illustration as like a tool in her work. And her work is very animated and expressive. So for her, like VR is, is a new kind of experience and it gives you new uh, creative possibilities, um, which is really interesting. So um, VR is really cool in that way. I, I like when you when you find uses for it like that you know, for a new tech where it's now you can do something that you couldn't before. Yeah. You know? Whereas yeah. my experience with VR so far is like, look at this thing. That's neat, you know, and like, <laughs> and it's fun, you know, but it's like, in terms of the games, it's like some games, um, some games are great. Like mini golf with your friends is fun, but like, I can imagine call of duty would make you throw up if you were in VR, you know, <laughs> literally, Yeah. <laughs> especially now. Yeah. I, I agree. I feel like it's, you know, I, I love VR. I, I, you know, and I don't even use it 
as much as I, I go through waves, like maybe one month I'm using it every day and then I don't use it for two months. Then I use it for two months. But yeah, I agree. It's kind of like gimmicky. I don't know if I would necessarily say uh, personally, I know it exactly what you mean by gimmicky, especially there's just so many bad apps too mm. that are just like, it's like you're trying to force VR. I don't know. It's sure. It, yeah. Say the zip. I always like to use the, uh, when the iPhone came out and applic apps were the hot new thing. And sure, it's like, sure. what's this app doing? It's like, it's a Zippo lighter and you push it and it's like yeah. a flame comes out. And it's like, yeah. well, I'm drinking a beer on my phone. Whoa. <laughs> like, you know, accelerometer. <laughs> what? Yeah, there were so, so many bad things. It was yeah. all, it's, and there, and VR is kind of going through, I think that phase now of where, nobody knows what works and what doesn't totally. work and mm -hmm. so and it's like psychological not to say psychological but almost because you're in, in a whole immersive environment mm -hmm. where you have to feel planted and um i won't go into too much stuff but yeah i feel exactly like there's just so many elements about it that just yeah it's, al it's almost I, like it's or, it's in know. search of a it's 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 in search of a problem to solve still, I think. And yes. Okay. Yeah. That's a good way to put it. That's yeah. an interesting way to put it. I, I, Cause I agree. I mean, I, you know, I played video games when I was younger. Uh, honestly, probably part of why I ever got interested in 3d was, you know, playing final fantasy seven and being like, these graphics there you go. are amazing. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Obviously that does not hold up, but you know, so I get the, I get the appeal of gaming in VR. Sure. Um, mm -hmm. I think it's, I think it's interesting too, that in some ways we started the conversation with AR VR took, started making leaps and bounds just from a hardware standpoint mm -hmm. that's dominated the conversation in the last couple of years i think it's interesting to see ar sort of almost start to overtake it again because ar yeah. has this app these applications i don't know if you guys saw i think google maps just released um it's like in four cities i think new york might have one and it's their first like ar integration where oh wow know, i think it's through your phone i mean i don't you know i don't know what ar huh. headsets would would work but basically it's like taking street view which everyone uses to be like, let me see if I can like see what the exterior of this building looks like or something. And instead of that, it's just the pin, you know, you look on your phone and the pins are dropped on the buildings as you're moving your camera around. That is oh, a, func that's like that. an extremely that's functional. Cool. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, being in New York, you know, you guys know how it goes. It's like so many places are opening and closing and opening and closing. Sometimes you get, you get to an address and you're like, I actually have no idea what building it is. There's no mm -hmm. signage. There's mm -hmm. no, so I think like stuff like that, it makes perfect sense. But yeah, so many times, and that's actually, I've never heard the analogy of it really is like the Zippo uh, apps or like the app showing off the accelerometer on like the iPhone where you're like, sure. hey, I can drink a beer with my phone. Yeah. And it even makes the sound effects. Like, yeah. it's like, cool. Yeah. It's cool. I mean, it's especially as a nerd, I love seeing that stuff. But I also yeah. can see why, you know, when I give like my girlfriend a headset, she's like, I don't care about this at all. It, mm -hmm. I, I, right. and, and if nothing else, like some, there's also the, the sort of baseline of some people just can't use it because they get sick. Like they don't, yeah. we haven't yeah. figured out that whole field yep. of view, motion blur, whatever it is. So, yeah. Yeah. It's yep. in the infancy stages. It's I, in the infancy. Know, yeah. As much as Mark Zuckerberg, you know, made the next Avatar movie showcasing how great VR is, it's not even close to that right now. <laughs> Very much in beta, if you will. But it mm -hmm. is cool to see so much more movement and progression happening and i i think that one thing that's going to happen and man i had a crazy almost depressing thought today that our generation might not actually 
ever get really into VR because we didn't grow up on it, right? Like, sure. I was thinking how, you know, we're not grandparents yet, thankfully, but like how simple things on an iPhone and stuff, they'll just not necessarily get because they didn't grow up with it. And I was thinking how, yeah. you know, even like with the iPhone, when it came out, you look up any early iPhone commercial, all it is is showing you, this is how you do gestures. This is, yeah. this is how you swipe. You know, we were the, all of their commercials were on training user experience, right? Yeah, that's so interesting. it's kind of like the gestures of VR haven't even been developed yet. Mm -hmm. And by the time they are, is it going to be too not natural for us? Or is it going to be something like, we're going to have to like adjust. I, I don't know. It's, it was just a it's, thing no, I was it's thinking. It's interesting to think like, about it like know, that though. Yeah. Like it we might didn't be tough. grow up with the gestures. Like we, we did on the iPhone, but we yeah. didn't with VR. So yep. I wonder how much we're going to be able to adapt to that. And, you know, who knows? There could be like sign language. I, I don't know. You know, there's no, but it's know. true. Yeah. That's a really interesting way to look at it. Yeah. But, um, man, I, well, I, mean, I can talk about VR for hours. Um, but there is one thing that I think you're especially, uh, probably have some of the most knowledge of, or have been involved in the field the most compared to other people we've talked to, but that's NFTs. Um, I've love, heard of them. Yeah, you know. um, I'd love to kind of hear your experience with it, but even more so about where you think the technology is going, like the possibility of its potential. Mm -hmm. NFTs, man. I mean, well, basically, uh, it's like, you know, it's the way that humans have figured out how to articulate the concept of owning some kind of digital thing. You know, mm -hmm. whether that's currency or a file or um, so, I don't know. It's like, you know how, you know how people buy like a skin in Fortnite or something, you know, but it's like then if Fortnite goes down, all the skins you bought are, they don't exist anymore, you know? So it's like, right. if it's NFTs, then it's like, now it's actually a digital thing that you can say you own. It's attached to a, a wallet, you know, which you can say is yours, like it's a way to have the concept of, of ownership of digital items. So I see it sort of, I can imagine it blowing up in the context of games because there already is a huge market of people who, who do spend money on new skins or League of Legends or a gun in Counter-Strike or something. Um, I think I just saw something recently. Some gun in Counter-Strike sold for like 400 grand. Is it, <laughs> is it wow. I don't, I don't even read into it yet. Is it, I don't know if it's an NFT or if it's not an NFT. I, I would it, not be I, surprised. I feel like so. it must be. Cause I don't know why you'd spend that much on something that's just like a <laughs> asset on someone's server, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, you know, people are going to start having digital things more and more digital things, you know, and they're going to want to express their identity through digital means. Um, and the way to own that stuff is, you know, NFTs is a way to, to, is a technology that can allow that to happen basically. So I think anything where you're having like people owning things digitally, like NFTs are going to be the way that, you know, it's gonna be the backbone for that. Um, so in, in my case, you know, I've sort of fell into this NFT world through art. Um, and that I, I get, you know, it's like you can own a, a painting in a museum or something, but if you want to collect a digital, a digital file or painting or a video, it's like how you can't physically do it. But an NFT sort of lets you have some way to say, this one's mine, you know, so 
to me, that makes sense, you know, in terms of owning something just to collect it, or if you want to, you know, have it as an investment, you know, you, I've seen some people say that they'd rather have like, you know, if they can afford a Picasso, you know, they, they, if you get a Picasso painting, you have to keep it in security and you have to keep it in a climate controlled room. And then you don't want to put it up in your house. Cause what if somebody breaks in your house? So it's in a vault, you get a reproduction commission to put it up. So it's like, and then if you sell it now, you have to deal with moving. So some people I've heard say, instead of doing like investing in, in assets that are physical and breakable and damageable, like I'd rather do it in NFTs because it's so much easier to move around and, and keep some kind of digital, you know, piece of culture that's, that's recorded in some way. So it's definitely know, easier to show off. Yeah. You know, you know so it's, it's like uh, there's less logistics around that. it. Yeah. And I, I never either. thought like, you know, it's like, yeah, you say so you get a you know, Picasso piece, right? Yeah. It, you're right. Like in one sense, the argument I think has always been, well, yeah, you get it so you can look at it. No, mm -hmm. in reality, you have it in a vault. Like, yeah, people I mean, people be too scared to put a Picasso on their wall, you know? Right, especially with all this tomato sauce being thrown <laughs> <on>. <laughs> Exactly, you know, it might get souped, you know? Yeah, but, uh, but yeah, no, I never thought about that. That's actually a really good point is kind of, yeah, some of these high-end pieces really are just as much just pure commodity versus history yeah you know it's, some store some way to store value in like a cultural a culturally relevant asset you know well, and i and think it's gonna oh good just like also i mean i don't so many documentaries on netflix i've seen i can't remember the names of right now because there's more than one for sure that struggle with this concept of provenance in art and how mm -hmm. there's this you know in the fine art world there's there are um running rampant, you know, people selling art that isn't actually by the artist they said it was. Totally. Oh, well, I found this in an attic. My my dad was like friends with, mm. you know, such mm -hmm. and such as housekeeper or something. And they end up selling this stuff for millions of dollars. Some of it sitting in museums in New York. And it's because those documents can be forged. They can be, yeah. you know, there's, there's, there's a whole uh, scam to be run there. Whereas totally. like one of the other things that I've always found, and that's more about sort of the blockchain. And I think there's, applications beyond just art with the blockchain but being able to track you know who bought it who sold it how much did it sell for where you know when did the transfer take place to be able to see all of that you know is also i think uh, an added value that we just clearly struggle with in in kind of the current space of how fine art is is typically or traditionally traded yeah no absolutely that's a that's a huge um a hugely important part of of what makes them uh, important it's uh, definitely a benefit of what nfts are and what they can offer yeah, I want to say even too, it's interesting. I, I kind of talked about it last week and I might have messed up a little bit of the statistics. I'm still, I got to do even more research because I'm going to mess it up again. But I just wanted to almost reiterate too that, you know, the Reddit recently, just talking about how NFTs might become more mainstream and things mm -hmm. of that nature, that Reddit just kind of became uh, number one, one of the top NFT places ever um <laughs> i said last week that they didn't use nfts but i think they do kind of use a little bit of the lingos they're called crypto snooze but they essentially just said everyone's avatar is now an nft so yeah. that it's just natively incorporated in the social platform now yeah yeah it's fascinating because reddit hates nfts like i remember i posted one of my pieces and it was mostly positive and then there were a few comments that were like 
this guy uses NFTs. Fuck this guy. Like, <laughs> I looked at his website. Yeah, it's a, some stupid NFT thing. He probably stole this from some artist and sold it as an NFT. I'm like, let's dox him. Um, I'm, I'm the artist. Not, it's mine. I made it. <laughs> so, yeah, so they hate NFTs. So then Reddit was really smart about it because if you look through all the info about them, it doesn't yeah. say NFT anywhere. It says like blockchain backed digital collectibles or something like that. And it's a smart move. Which it's like, Michael has been saying for the last few episodes when we have this conversation, yeah. it's, it's like they really just need a rebranding. Rebrand. Yeah. The yeah. initial launch did not go uh, as anticipated. And so now they're, it's a bit of a curse word <laughs> yeah. for people, even if they don't have a full understanding of it. You know? Yeah. Yep. It's like we, if we, you were to take out us ever saying NFT in this last you know little bit, people would mm -hmm. be like, this is amazing i love everything that's sure. being said here and then as yeah. soon as you hear nft you're kind of like "Ooh, like wait they're talking about nfts you know what i mean like I those don't monkey like, pictures wait i'm not supposed those... to like yeah, exactly the monkey pit the yacht club what yeah. is it you know um the crypto bros yeah exactly yeah. so it's oh, you man. know but just seeing reddit like kind of do it was just a real cool proof of concept that mm. the technology is awesome and i really do think that in the future not to say anything, get political with Elon Musk having Twitter, mm. but, you know, I could see things being of, you know, there being more integration mm -hmm. of proof of concept of who posts what sure, and allowing probably. any, maybe even making post as NFT, you know, just monetizing mm -hmm. anything and in the same sense, giving credit to people on yeah. anything they make, which. Uh, yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah. Imagine like if somebody made a a meme or something you can see where it came from like any kind of thing where provenance is involved you know for people you know when you post your art people steal it all the time all you know, the time steal it. they they photoshopped out the watermark and stuff you know it's like what can you do but also yeah that'd be interesting if there was some way to see where where things really came from even um, music you know i like mm -hmm. i felt like recently i think i was also talking about this last episode a little bit or a few episodes ago but like it almost or maybe not actually but it, I almost get a little upset sometimes, which we'll talk, maybe this will be a good point into AI, um, but is that like when it comes to who made the original art, right? So some people are like, oh, well, you shouldn't use AI because you don't know whose art it is. Hmm. But in one sense, it's just that it's as much as I want to tell people to be ethical about it, it's like, well, the per people who aren't going to be ethical about it are going to explode. They're going to yeah. utilize it. They are going and yeah. to tell people not to use it or to not, you know, or be too cautious or anything like that is almost like I would feel bad because it's kind of like holding you back versus your competition. So mm. all I was going to go through is that people are like, well, artists as a whole will gather together to defend other artists. But honestly, you look at things like TikTok, right? The original sound source, somebody will steal their sound source, oh, yeah. then their TikTok gets blown up from stealing yeah. someone else's audio. Everyone knows it's not their audio. They still will have millions of followers, millions yeah. of likes, millions of reachers. Then people steal that. And it's like the whole TikTok generation is kind <laughs> of like, they don't care who made what it's yeah. all about. Am I entertained mm -hmm. and can I provide the entertainment? And it does not matter. Any credit credibility does not matter at all. Yeah. And so I think with NFTs, just wrapping it all the way back, 
is that it could be cool to have NFTs that do provide that black the blockchain and that maybe mm-hmm. brings power back to the original creators of content. Well, that yeah. was a mouthful. Sorry. No, that was great. <laughs> um, that was just a random tangent of thinking. But um, moving on with that, we had a brief mention of it. AI, what is your, I think go. this is the last one. Yeah, what, what, what is your thoughts on it? Have you used it? Oh, yeah. I love AI. I love using it. I love playing with it. I think it's amazing. Uh, I think it's also terrifying. I think mm-hmm. AI is going to take over everything and most jobs are going to get replaced by AI pretty soon. I think sooner than we think. Like, I mean, you just see how fast this stuff has, you know, advanced from, you know, from like GANs to then it, you know, it was like Disco Diffusion and then Mid Journey and then Dolly and Stable Diffusion. Now we're Mid Journey V4. It's like every few weeks or months, there's like a new, an enormous leaps and bounds are, are happening, you know? Um, and then it was like, I remember a few weeks ago, there was like one Thursday where like three different text to video models were announced. And it was like, oh my God, now we're doing text to video. And like one of them was like, whoa, this is cool. It's like a bear, like painting a picture. And it, I think it's the the meta one. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like, yeah, you can make these five second videos of a bear painting a picture. And uh, here's a <laughs> bear in a classroom doing calculus. There's a lot of bear videos. I don't know why. Yeah. But anyway, and I was like, oh, cool. Yeah, five seconds. Cool, limitations. Then there's another one called uh, Fanaki or something or Fanaki. And it's like, oh, yeah, there's no yeah. limitation. You can do a whole music video. Yeah, here we typed in like 16 paragraphs and it made like a four-minute video and it looks incredible. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, wow, that's happening now. So it's like every few weeks this stuff is advancing really, really quickly. And um, I think if, so a few things are going to happen. One thing, most certainly, like a lot of people are going to lose their jobs because it's like, you know, a creative director, why would they hire a team of, of artists when they can just go like – uh, you know, Coca-Cola can studio lighting by Greg Burkowski, HD, 4K, hyper detailed. And then it's like, here's 50 examples in one second. It's like, it's giving people a lot more power to make art. So uh, people will probably lose their jobs, which is kind of scary, but there's also going to be new possibilities offered to people, you know, like people who are already in these fields, I think should start looking into AI and seeing how you can use these tools uh, so that it is just a tool and it's not just like a human replacement. Um, another thing I think is going to happen with AI is that people who didn't have the privilege of learning how to use computers and learning how to you know spend hours learning how to paint or draw because of their situation, now they will be able to express themselves creatively, you know, um, which is amazing. It's going to open up creativity to a lot of people who didn't have the privilege to learn how to articulate their imagination with traditional tools. Yeah. So it's going to do a lot of different things. There's no way you can't say it's good or bad. Um, it's happening no matter what, and it's going to keep happening. It's all open source and it's going to develop faster than we can really understand. Um, but yeah, they're going to be, it's just, things are going to change. So, um, yeah, while while people will probably be displaced, you know, like when Photoshop came out, all the traditional retouchers were displaced. It's like you people are just going to have to evolve, I think, to stay relevant. Um, and they're going to have to update their skill sets and learn how to use these tools. Um, yeah, I read a book that was interesting and it talked about how like uh, the military started using like drone pilots or something. And it was like when they had these AI drone pilots, like people were like, oh, no, they're 
like it's going to take all the jobs from the fighters and then it turned the fighter jets. And then it was like, actually it takes like 80 people to run a team to, to run one drone pilot because it's so complicated. So it's like all these new things are going to come out, you know, it's like all these new needs and these new things that humans have to, you know, uh, be involved in are, um, are going to be, are going to, uh, you know, sort of emerge. So Anyway, long-winded answer, but yes, some people are going to lose their jobs because AI is going to do it a thousand times faster than they can. And then some people are going to finally be able to express themselves creatively when that was never possible for them before. And it's going to put the power in their hands to tell their stories. And I think we're going to get a lot more uh, diversity in, in storytelling and in creativity that we were not able to have before. So AI is going to do a, a lot of things. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, that's one of the most exciting points to me that I never really thought of um, until recently. But yeah, it's just that, I mean, like used to get upset about AI, but now it's how cool is it that people who couldn't tell a story because they didn't have those tools now yeah. will be able to, you know, like, exactly. It's so powerful. It's so like, not just for artists, but everyone life changing, you it's know, life changing. Yeah, it's so I'm, I'm very much excited about it. Um, have you been, when you use AI, what are you, have you been using it in sense uh, in your actual work or more just for references or what's kind of like your game plan or where do you kind of see sure. it maybe being involved in your work? Um, it's a good question. So I have sort of done experiments and stuff, but I haven't really done anything with it that I've used in a published piece yet. Um, I'm, I'm experimenting with something now where, uh, me and my fiance, we made an animation together where we made the, we designed the animation together. I built it in 3d, animated it, rendered it. And then we took a frame from it and she painted the frame uh, of that. So originally the, we started doing this a while ago and originally the plan was, you know, um, let's see, we did something like this before and we released the animation is an NFT and then the painting came with the NFT and we sold that and the collector got both. And so we wanted to do that again. And now, now that so much time has passed, we're like, Oh, wait a minute. So actually even just yesterday I was messing around with taking photos of the painting and then, you know, making a data set to train an AI on an AI model on, and then trying to use the new now trained AI model and applying that through stable diffusion onto the animation to see if I can make it look like the animation is now in her painting style. And it's, it's not perfect, but it's, you know, I'm experimenting with it. I don't know if it'll work or not, but it's like, these are the kind of things where it's like, I wouldn't have thought to even do that like six months ago, cause it, it wouldn't have been accessible. I would have been like, oh yeah, maybe an MIT researcher can figure that out, you know, and I got to learn Python and learn how to use, you know, a GAN or something. But <laughs> it's like, now it's so accessible, so easy. You can just download it. It's all open source. So I'm, I'm messing around with ideas of like, how could I use this in my work? You know, I want to make something where it's like animation, where it looks like every frame's a painting, like that'd be so cool. Um, but that's probably like 5% of how I use AI. Most of it is just like, I'm hanging out with my friends and we're like, yo, it'll be like a funny thing to see, you know? And then we just like make like really silly shit. <laughs> I don't, I don't even know. Like, I think the last thing I did was just, my friends were like, obese velociraptors and then like mid journey like cranks out like beautiful pixar renderings you know 
Um, that is like, also not, that's 90% of how I use it. I, I used yeah. to be notorious for like in all of, I'm terrible at texting. Um, so whenever I do make a text in a group chat, I'm, you know, I have like 50 group chats <laughs> with all these different groups. It's usually like 50 group chats with the same people minus one in each kind of thing. <laughs> um, but like, but so anytime I would come back and like re-enter a chat, it would usually be like someone says something ridiculous. And so I would Photoshop it just cause I would be like bored and. Oh, nice. <laughs> and, now... and so now, so now I just pull up Discord discord and i'm just like let me just really quick you know and so oh yeah so it's like now i've also become uh a lot of my friends will just will, will ping me and be like can you prompt this for me because i really want to you know oh, not yeah. for any functional reason yep. other than like i want to see like um like uh i think we did i think we also did a velociraptor one recently it was a, a velociraptor doing um like hibachi like a hibachi there you show. go yeah it's just like mm -hmm. that would be hilarious let's check it out <laughs> and, you know why not and they nailed it they uh, mid journey nailed it, so, so funny mid journey so good they're all good uh mm -hmm. stable diffusion's great dolly's great they all have like their own strengths and weaknesses um but yeah that's mostly how i use ai like 95 percent of it is like uh toilet full of figs by caravaggio like <laughs> just like you could do uh, it's just ridiculous and it's like yeah sure here you go here's a toilet full of fakes how about my diane arbus how would she do that one it's like yeah it's right here it's perfect it's a perfect <laughs> diane arbus photograph of child in a toilet like you, anything it's just silly so we were like oh fuck ai it's gonna ruin everything i'm like ai is hilarious like it's i love it it's it's made me laugh more than a lot of things in the last yeah. few months mm -hmm. like, it's great yeah, I'm excited too. Like, I feel like there's one thing I've always loved doing that's just listening to music and thinking mm -hmm. of my own music videos. And I really totally. do hope there's a day where I can just maybe sit down for an hour, listen to a song a few times, and just come out with a pop in 4K video that's just awesome and exactly oh, yeah. how I'm thinking about it without it taking months yeah. or years. You know, yeah, I man. would love to have that ability you know i'm not even yeah. scared of it if i could have that i'll i mean make me homeless give me that ability <laughs> i'm just kidding um but i i honestly <laughs> i i've like I, I just i love music videos a lot and i was just man that would be so cool so, be so you, we're not far I'm from actually, it i'm curious I, Gavin, yeah. have you heard yeah. of um have you heard of something called zips law zip ZIPFS. Yeah, oh, so it's. I, I totally it's, have. I don't remember what it is. Tell me. I remember yeah, it was interesting. I'm going to butcher it. Let me just pull it up really quick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so basically, all right. So I'll read the top result here. Uh, it's a statistical statistical distribution in certain data sets, such as words, in which the frequencies of certain words are inversely proportional to their ranks. So basically, like mm -hmm. the words that we use in the English language, like the top perform or the most frequently used words have the highest rank. Mm -hmm. So like as you move down this model, you know, the words that, you know, we use the, a, and, but sure. for like, those are all very high, um, you know, high, they appear highly in our language. Mm -hmm. So basically the reason i bring it up is because uh you know this concept of prompt engineering and how do you mm -hmm. actually get unique results especially when these ais you know everyone is getting their hands on it and so now people can kind of say oh well that's a, i can tell that's mid-journey or i can tell right you know, so how do you how do you circumvent that and so really it's about also being you know knowing a lot of different words like using words sure. that people don't normally use yeah. so it's like i'm sitting here being going back to like sat prep class in high school where it's like learning really your SAT word of the yeah. week but i mean it is it's like when you prompt 
obviously saying, I don't, I mean, I can't think of a good example, but I would encourage anyone listening and you guys as well. I mean, it's worth diving into. I think Vox did um, some interviews with some people that were like doing a ton of the kind of bleeding edge stuff with so the, cool. uh, the prompt generators. And someone, one of the artists goes into a deep dive specifically around this Zips law and sort of describes it as like, that's, so that's a, a perfect example of a, of a skill set that you might, that yeah, you might that not totally makes you sense. want to learn, but you know. 100%. Yeah, because yeah, people are like, I was just oh, thinking, Gavin. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know multiple languages. Like, I wonder, have you tried using AI with different languages? Like, do you feel like that produces I haven't. No, that's interesting. I should give that a shot. Like, I did see a, um, a few Twitter posts of a guy who was trying to do that. And he would just do like, mm. you know, a person in a car. And he did it in like a few different languages. And like, if he did it in Japanese, it was like a Japanese person in a Japanese street. You know, wow. versus like doing it in French, like looked like someone in like Europe and so doing it in English, like maybe someone in America. That's like, crazy. yeah, it kind of does, because I guess that's how it gets the data from the training sets. So if you're if your data set is in is all uh, tagged with keywords in Japanese, maybe, you know, it's probably more likely that it was um, uploaded by someone who speaks Japanese. Maybe they're you know more likely wow. in Japan. Um, so it makes that's sense. It's, that's an interesting idea <laughs> to sort of tap into different dating sets. Yeah, AI, AI is fascinating because, you know, you see a lot of people who are like, this isn't art. It's so easy. You just type in what you want and it's there. It's like, it's a, it's a new art. It's like a new art that we understand. It's it's like a whole world. Like, you know, in the, in the past, it's like you got people, you know, sending boats out to discover all the different places in the world. And it's like, okay, that's done. It's like, this is a new world to discover. It's like, yeah. It's out there and it's sort of beyond our understanding. And there are an infinite ways, an infinite number of ways to sort of look through it. And, you know, it's, it's literally, it's you know, so people talk about it's... that. They're like, it's, this yeah. is exploring the latent space. It's like, this is the next yeah. generation of like uh, discovering things. <laughs> it's a and world to so discover. in so many ways, it's just like holding a mirror up to us, you know? Yeah, all... mm, so, that's the thing. So, wow. you know, yeah. you talk about bias and data and, and programming and, how there might be inherent bias on all these models that have been trained, mm -hmm. which I think, you know, I've seen arguments for both for and against, but at the end of the day, it is pretty, it's pretty interesting seeing some of the kind of more, I guess, either politically charged or, you know, the social issue stuff that people have kind sure. of experimented with, with AI and seeing what it feeds back to us. And yeah, it can be gut wrenching to look at because you see it and you kind of think, I mean, is that the zeitgeist right now? Is that what everyone's thinking? Yeah. Is that, you know, is that, is the, yeah. is the model just showing us where we've been for the last 20 years or, yeah, it's true. you know, which is crazy to think about, but, um, Spits out but what because you put of in, that, it's like you know? self-exploration, not just create, you know, yeah. I mean, it's, it kind of opens up, uh, get back to that idea about just creative, you know, telling stories and, and diving into your own creativity. It's kind of cool to have it as a, I love using it, honestly, just even if I'm blanked on. I don't have any, I want to do a render or something, or I want to do a, a study in something and I don't have good references. Yeah. Like, I'm not, I'm so happy that I'm not spending my days on Google images or like, you know, Pinterest boards or mm. uh, whatever, yeah. like, fill oh, yeah. you know, it's so nice to just kind of have something that you can go to and say, this is kind of what I'm thinking. Here's some like very specific keywords. And, yeah. You know, it's pretty amazing in that regard. For sure. Yeah, I'll definitely say I have, I actually haven't been using Pinterest and you know Behance as much as I used to. Yeah. yeah, like I'm not like you know yeah. kind of just typing in what I'm thinking I want to see and then you Isn't know. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's different. It's different. Yeah. Yeah. It's different. It's fascinating. Well, I feel like um, did you 
Andrew have any other questions or anything? I feel like we have covered quite a bit of ground. I, I mean, the only thing I was going to say is open it up to, mm. you know, if we didn't discuss anything that you were hoping to talk about or any anything you want to plug, any projects you have coming up. Um, any drops? Oh, man. Yeah, I've been working on a, a drop for a while. I've been chipping away at it for like a year, to be honest, just sort of like trying to just overthinking it and just refining it. And it's very, very conceptual. So it's funny because it sort of touches on this. So. I read a book called Homo Deus by this guy, Yuval Noah Harari. Um, and he, he mentions this idea. He has this quote in it, and it's, it's so haunting and arresting to me. He says, uh, modernity is a deal where uh, humans agree to give up meaning in exchange for power. Hmm. So he, he sort of posits that in any situation where you get more power, you are giving up some kind of meaning. So I see this everywhere in the modern tech world, like AI is a great example. Cause it's like, so I, you know, when you said your thing where you're like, Oh, I wish I could just have a thing that maybe I could just generate this 4k music video in a second. And it's like, if you could do that and you do it in a second, you have it now, what, you know, like, like, whereas in the past, if you had that idea and you're like, this is going to take six months and now you do it, you spend six months on it, spend six months of sacrificing your life and hanging out with friends to build this, this video and you finally release it. How much more meaningful is that as opposed to just saying, here's the paragraph and okay, that looks good, mm. you know? So it's like anytime where something becomes more efficient or easier, thanks to technology, uh, there is some loss of, of meaning in that. So this idea has just like, it's just stuck with me uh, for years and I see it everywhere now. Um, so I'm, I'm, I've been working on this NFT drop where there are going to be two things that you can get and one is power and one is meaning. And with power, you can, once you have it, um, if you want, you can just make another one, you know, you want to collect a reward, you want an airdrop, just get, have another one, you know, you have the power to, um, and meaning is just a piece of art. There's no utility. So it's sort of playing on this idea of everyone in NFTs wants utility. They want it to do things. They want to get rewards. They want to get airdrops. They want something that they can then sell. So if you have power, you can do that. You have the power to just give yourself a new one. You can sell it if you want, or you can hold it. You'll have more Damn, of them. Damn, dude. That um, is... Wow. But the other I one is just a piece of that. art. So it's just to, huh. so if I've spent so long just like refining the concept and the mechanics of it uh, to get to this point and I have the art done and I'm working with, uh, with Manifold to, to have it developed. Um, Oof, so I'm hoping to, I'm also, hoping to release quote, it next month. That quote is going to sit in my yeah, head. Yeah, you'll I see it know. everywhere now. You'll <laughs> see it everywhere. Well, I mean, I've, I feel like I have been seeing it and I haven't had yeah. a succinct way of trying to describe, especially, exactly. you know, uh, again, being in motion design for a, a little over a decade now. And so much of my early career was like grinding away at something late nights, not, you know, I mean, to a point where you have to, again, yeah. we talked about it earlier, balance, you have to rebalance your priorities, mm -hmm. you know, at a certain point, otherwise you burn out or, you know, whatever you you, but yeah, you get to the end of those projects. And like that, that is actually so much of why I enjoy doing this kind of work. Yeah. Is it is sort of like you leave some of yourself on the table, but you're getting something in return. Yeah. And yeah. I think that most of the fear and anxiety that I have around AI is not so much because I'm worried about maybe losing my job or, but it's like, if, if that pursuit of that and, and mm. kind of the process, if all of that gets taken away, then like, do I even yeah. want to do this? Exactly. Like, That's know? what scares me most about AI. It's not like losing my job because you know, you, there's always tools you can learn them. But to me, it, it, I fear meaninglessness, you yeah. know, like yeah. if, if it gets to the point where I can just make something in a second, it's like, what the fuck did I spend my whole life doing? Does that mean anything right. anymore? Like yeah. now when you make something and it just takes a second, like, you know, the, the, the meaning from my artistic identity comes from 
how I've developed my craft and the things I've said before and the things I've done before and how that's been shaped and that whole process. That's a multi-year, multi-decade process. It's like, yeah. that's, that's what's led me to here and given me this, this identity in my work and in my, in my experience. So it's like, if it gets to the point where like, none of that's needed to make the same thing. It's like, okay, well, what's that for? And, you know, I guess, you know, I, you know, we've done, we've, we've been doing this for years. So we have that, but what about people who are being born today? You know, right. is there going to be a pursuit of some kind of skill or is AI just going to do everything? You know, yeah. where will meaning come from? A lot of meaning, you know, meaning comes from the, the sacrifices you put into, wow. into doing yeah. something. Meaning comes from where you spend your time. So if you don't have to spend any time doing anything, <laughs> yeah. just anything mean anything, you know, it's very weird and confronting and philosophical, but um, yeah, no, that, that honestly, quote really stuck with me. It's also like an endless loop. Like I feel it's like an endless just, loop. I, I am literally mm -hmm. in one of your pieces right now. Just yeah, crazy. Yeah, yeah, man. Shit. So I love it. Anyway, so think about that. Think about power versus meaning. Yeah, well, I'm excited yeah. to see the drop, and I'm also curious. I, I'm gonna definitely keep eyes out for. I would love to see the how it plays out, and you know, the analytics of it. Who yeah, me too. I have no idea what's gonna happen. You know, like part of me thinks like people are gonna get power, and they're just gonna make more and more of them, and then more. So many people are gonna get it that it's just gonna become meaningless. You know, and that's an idea. But the other, the other concept, which just sort of came to me recently, was like. What if the people who have power like hold on to it and they just make like one or two and then it's just solid and then they, no one can get it even though they want it. So now, now there's almost a power where like in meaning you have the power to have the collection limited, but in power, you don't have that power. So it's more meaningful if you keep it small. So it's right. like, could you turn power into something more meaningful by, by not, by not relinquishing, like not using the power, like, you know, so I don't know. I have no idea what's going to happen. <laughs> it's, like, it's like part, it's like part social experiment, which exactly the whole thing's a social experiment, incredible. you know? Mm -hmm. So that's what I want to do. Awesome. I want to start doing more stuff like that in NFTs. You know, I think a lot of the, the work in the NFT world is it's just the same as like, you know, in a gallery, you get prints from an exhibition or something like that. You know, it's just the same thing that has been done. But I think in NFTs, there's this opportunity to do things, um, where you're connecting people in ways with interactivity because that's what smart contracts can offer. You know, it's like you right, can do yeah. this trustless thing and you can have something where um, people are interacting with each other and interacting with the work in ways that aren't possible with traditional physical art. So I want to start making work that sort of utilizes that because I haven't seen a lot of work that does that. You know, there are yeah. some, there are some artists who do that. There is work that does that, but um, it's not, it's, it's not as much as it could be. You know, more people could be doing stuff like that. So I think there's a lot of potential. And I want to start uh, playing with that and dabbling with that. Hell yeah. I love yeah. that. That's fascinating. Sweet. I love, uh, man, I think this is a great point to end it is uh, sure. with uh, some brain shattering uh, philosophy and ideas <laughs> and excitement on new projects. Yeah. Uh, well, Gavin, man, thank you so much for coming on. This was thank you. a blast. Thank yeah. you for having me. This was great. Thank you so much for inviting me. It was great to run into you at uh, NAB. Um, yeah, I'm really glad I came on. Thanks again, guys. This is a really fun conversation.